0: Music Industry Inside Out delivers on-demand access to music industry legends and lessons covering everything from band management, recording and bookings, to touring, tax, publishing, legals, and more. Annual membership gives you plenty of time to wrap your head around game-changing tips and tricks of the music industry. And 4 triple C subscribers receive an exclusive 20% off individual memberships. Visit Music Industry Inside Out online for more information.
2: In that man, me, me, my line
1: welcome to the Paradigm shift on Fortable Z 102.1 FM it is your local community radio station bringing you all the arts and and news that matters to your local community. My name is Andy and I will be with you for the next hour and today on the show we are going to be talking about the repression of climate activism in Australia. Um, I did a bit of field research actually for this show this week. I locked myself on to the train tracks that were carrying the first load of coal from adani's carmichael mine adani are claiming it was just a test run but it was a train pretty much full of coal Um, it's been a long campaign against that mine um, and we don't want to let it just go by let them export their coal without people getting in the way of it because that is what we need to do to avoid the climate crisis people need to disrupt the system that is destroying our planet and so myself and a few others locked ourselves to the tracks um, were arrested and um, are now in the legal system I am on bail hence the fact um, I'm not at my usual mobile studio where I record this and in fact I don't have my microphone because I left it there. So apologies about the sound quality of, this, of today's show. Because I'm on bail conditions that say I can't go back to the place that is essentially my home for half the year in central Queensland. That's one of the things that we'll be talking about in the course of the show, the use of things like bail conditions. So Anyway, what's coming up? I spoke with Yusor Al-Azawi from the Human Rights Law Center. They've just put out a study uh, about the legal repression of climate activism in this country. Um, and so I talked to her about the findings of that study. And then I talked to a couple of people who know firsthand the effects of climate repression because they have, in the last couple of weeks, been sentenced to prison for doing climate activism. I speak to Juliette Lamont, who locked onto the same train as I did the other day and yesterday was given a one-month prison sentence, suspended for nine months, thankfully, so she can talk to us on the paradigm shift. Um, And I also spoke with the infamous Sergio Herbert, who a couple of weeks ago was sentenced to one year in prison for his 29th arrest for climate activism um he is out on bail with an appeal pending and so i spoke to him uh the media does a lot of talking about surge and not that much talking to him and so i thought we'd get a bit of the the rationale behind why he does what he does so that's what's coming up um stay tuned I think it is an important discussion and one that so rarely is talked about in discussion about climate change. We just talk about things um, as they are, not about what are the things behind the scenes that are making it harder for the people who want climate action to get their message across when those who are pushing against it have so much access to political power and media power in this country. So... Um, it's good to be digging behind the scenes of that. So let's start off with Yusuf Al-Azawi from the Human Rights Law Centre. Could you start off by introducing yourself?
0: I'm Yusuf Al-Azawi and I'm a senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre.
1: And the Human Rights Law Centre has just released a report. It is called Global Warning. Uh, the threat to climate defenders in Australia. Can you tell us why this report has been made?
0: The report has really come about from um, an identification of um, what we see as an increasing trend of repression towards climate activists and so we really wanted to take a closer look at the myriad of ways in which climate activists are being repressed and to be able to pull it all together and look at the, what the whole picture presents and so that sort of is really what drove it
1: It seems to have been uh, fortuitous or unfortuitous, depending which way you look at it timing uh, the report came out just A couple of weeks ago and then we've also had two people two climate activists given custodial sentences in the last couple of weeks as well
0: Mm, that's right and really what the report um reveals is that at a time when the stakes for the planet could not be higher climate defenders are increasingly being targeted prosecuted intimidated and harassed simply for calling for action and I think, in the context of events that have surrounded um, the report being um, released, we really see that that just couldn't be more clear and evident at the moment. And I'm not sure if you, um, if this sort of crossed your desk at all. But um, the same, the very same time the report was being released last week, the ABC broke a story about a government agency down here in Victoria. Um, taking out sort of allegedly spying on um a climate defender who had uh, criticized them
1: yeah that's another one of the things that you cover in your report is surveillance
0: yeah that's right um so to sort of see um this happening very much in real time that's sort of that's precisely why um we wanted to pull this report together for um people to be able to see how these different threads are not isolated incidents but rather a systematic and broad-based attack um, on climate activism and in in terms of the surveillance um, you know australian governments and fossil fuel corporations have a history of engaging in surveillance and direct infiltration of charities non-for-profits grassroots organizations um, who are protesting and you know that rarely are they held to account
1: yeah well let's go back to the start of your report it's Mm -hmm. interesting that it what is a report about legal issues by our lawyers um it doesn't start with sort of something that happened in the courts or anything but it starts with the influence of the fossil fuel industries in our parliament why did you start with that
0: We really saw that as being the underlying motivator. You know, the unregulated political influence of the fossil fuel industry, including through really large and often secret donations to political parties, is what we see as driving political inaction on climate change and also the repression of those calling for action.
1: So... Speaking of that repression, you then go on to have a few different sections about uh, the legal restriction of climate activism. Uh, so let's uh, talk briefly about each of them. <coughs> um, mm-hmm. The first is state governments bringing in anti-protest laws.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, as you well know, Andy, the we've seen the introduction of harsh and at times unconstitutional um, anti-protest laws in a couple of different jurisdictions across the country. These laws often directly target or disproportionately impact climate activists. Um, In Queensland of course we've got the dangerous devices law And in Tasmania, um, there is the, what's called the Workplaces Protection from Protesters Act, which has actually been found several years ago. It was found unconstitutional by the High Court, or parts of it were. Um, And the Tasmanian government is now um, up to its third attempt to bring that act um, into power. So it's sort of tried to amend it after the High Court said it was a no-go. that was unsuccessful and just a couple of months ago um we've seen the government bring that and try to amend that act again um and it's really an unnecessary and disproportionate restriction on people's right to peaceful advocacy yeah so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a watch and wait on the tasmanian law at the moment but as we know the law um in Queensland passed uh, about two years ago now and um, as you well know activists are being charged under that law frequently is my understanding
1: yeah there's been a, quite a number of those uh, dangerous attachment device charges now um, so one of the other things that you talk about is the way law enforcement is used against activists
0: yeah that's right So what we really see is that police are imposing onerous bail conditions on environmental activists, which stifles freedom of association and political expression. And climate activists are also facing excessive penalties for peaceful protest, including suspended terms of imprisonment. Um, So activists across Australia are facing increasingly repressive bail conditions. And most criminal charges that do flow from environmental activism are summary offences or your more minor offences. But climate defenders are increasingly receiving bail conditions that are commonly imposed in circumstances of really much more serious offending, like sort of organised crime or, or that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, some of the conditions that people might be facing include non-association conditions, place restrictions, curfew conditions. Um, And I think what's really worrying and important to note about that is that bail is designed to address risk. And yet the way we see it being used against climate activists increasingly is in a punitive way and as a deterrent to activism
1: yeah i'm I'm glad that the report covered this because it is one of my uh, kind of pet topics is the way that bail is misused to restrict protest um, and it's sort of done outside of the courts the The police do this and often the courts will override it, but um, in the meantime, you're stuck on these punitive bail conditions and there's nothing that you can done about, do about it. And the the media very rarely reports on any kind of nuances of the law because the average person's understanding of the law is so small. And so it's very hard to ever get any media to talk about the fact that police are misusing the law in this way to restrict activism.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's part of what we wanted to do um, with this report is just bring to light um, that there are tactics at play here that are a deterrent, um, are repressive and are also having a really chilling effect um, on freedom of speech, freedom of association, people exercising their right to protest. Down at the
3: Metro Mine Down at the Metro Mine Who's gonna lie on that hard rail line? Stop Peabody's coal digging crime. Coal mining takes your life away. It's a dead end job, I say. Get dust on your lung, get a cold blackened tongue and a dead planet back with your pay. Who's got a padlock and chain? Who's got a padlock and chain? Locking on tight to that coal train tonight. Tell me who's got a padlock and chain? A gong people, do you dread? Yes, gone people, do you dread? That sound up on the hill? Yes, that's peabody's drill, cracking through your drinking river bed. Yes, peabody's digging up that coal. The peabody's digging up that coal hole. Gonna lie down on the track and make port all the coal back, cause nobody should be digging up coal. Who's got a padlock and chain now? Who's got a padlock and chain? Tell me now. Locking on tight to that coal train tonight. Tell me who's, who's got, got a padlock pad, and chain? I'll name you their leader in crime. He's CEO of my Mind. Mr. Gregory H. Boys, he's a leader of choice For his will make him pay
4: in time but we'll be standing in court one day We'll be standing in court one five day We'll
3: hear the judges' voice say Mr. G. H. Boys, for your crimes, tonight, you now
4: must pay and Tell me who's got a
3: padlock and chain tell me who's got a padlock and chain well, tell me now on tight to that coal train tonight. Tell me who's, who's got, got a padlock and chain. Oh, tell me Locking on tight to that train, train tonight. Tell me who's, who's got a padlock and chain. Car, we're living here.
1: Ah tonight tell me who's got a padlock and chain hi ah, yes an Australian environmental civil disobedience anthem there from the lurkers that is who's got a padlock and chain here on the paradigm shift on Forable Z we are speaking with Yusor al-azawi from the human rights law center about their recent study on the legal repression of climate activism in australia let's go back to that interview so the other section that you talk about here which i think again is another one that not people who are involved in the environmental movement know about but outside of that a lot of people wouldn't is the pressure that the government puts on our institutions for civil society, non-profits and charities.
0: Yeah, that's right. So a number um, of Australian government agencies, as we've spoken about, have been captured by fossil fuel interests, which has then resulted in the suppression of accurate information to the public about climate change risks. um, And it's perpetuated the spread of climate change misinformation. And then alongside that as well, you know charities and non-for-profits who engage in climate change education and activism are an essential defense against such misinformation um, but they too are under pressure and attack um, <clears throat> and very recently in fact the same day that this report launched um, I'm not sure if you were aware of the proposed changes to um, the ACNC's government governance standards um, which sort of basically um was an attempt to stifle um charities who engage in climate activism and by threatening them with deregistration Um, so that was a sort of proposed change that was causing a really great deal of concern for the entire charity sector Um, and it would have sort of significantly expanded the offences upon which the ACNC, which is the Australian Charities and Non-for-Profits Commission, um, could deregister a charity. Um, and it would include an employee of that charity committing really minor offences, like you know entering or remaining on um, property or, or things like that. That could see that the charity itself deregistered. Um, so, very happily, last Thursday, um, those that proposed standard was disallowed.
1: Yeah, there's a range of attacks on the non-profits of Australia that people don't necessarily know about, and one of them is just that the ACNC head is Gary Johns, who was once a, a Labor politician, but who, before he ever got that job, had carved out this persona of himself as a guy who complained about uh, non-profits and charities like overreaching mm. their remit. that was all he did and then the Abbott government appointed him as the guy who was going to oversee charities essentially like putting the wolf in charge of the sheep paddock
0: mm, mm. yeah that's it. it's very interesting um, what happens at the federal level isn't it and you know the other leg of it as well is that The federal government set up a climate commission in 2011, which was supposed to be a reliable, authoritative, independent source of information about climate change in Australia. And yet in 2013, just a day after the coalition took government, it abolished that commission. Um, And now there's an independent statutory body known as the Climate Change Authority, um, which looks very different and is continuing to be watered down.
1: So we have had, you know, these harsh penalties on people breaking the law. And some would say that, well, if you go out and break the law, that's what happens. You should expect it. But uh, there is a tradition of civil disobedience as a part of the process of democracy in this country. Do you think that there needs to be a a defence of people who are breaking the law on conscientious grounds?
0: Well... Climate defenders are engaging in activism not because they want to, but because they feel there's no other option. People are worried about the future and the future of the planet. Um, and despite the warning alarm ringing loud and clear, Australian governments are failing to act on climate change. Um, and you know, we what we think is really important is strong political leadership that's going to introduce. Vital reform that strengthens political integrity to reduce that distorting influence of the fossil fuel industry that we were talking about But also alongside that the strengthening of legal protections for activism Um, the What what we have at the moment is at the federal level we have an implied freedom of political communication um, which is the flows from our constitution and has come out of uh, a case and that is the protection that we have um, in terms of our right to protest really that's the main protection at the federal level we need really stronger legal protections for activism than just that Um, and until such time that we get it we're going to keep seeing climate defenders be targeted prosecuted intimidated harassed um, just for calling for change
1: Okay, so the report um, was published two weeks ago, Um, what do you hope that it achieves?
0: I hope that it helps people stitch the picture together um, and to understand that we're not talking about one or two isolated incidents, we're seeing systematic and broad scale attack. On activism and in being able to see the picture um, we hope that people will understand and there will be sort of greater support for um, what really needs to change which like I say is strengthening our political integrity and strengthening our legal protections
1: okay thanks very much you and if people want to read the report how can they do so?
0: Um, You can head over to the report's website and just download it for free. So if you type in um, global warning, the threat to climate defenders, um, it will take you to a landing page on Google um, at the Human Rights Law Centre's website. Hit that page, download the report for free um, and get on board.
1: Okay, thanks very much, Yusu.
0: Thanks so much, Andy.
4: To understand your point of view With this bulldozer shall never move No matter what they do I am never gonna let go Never gonna let go Always shall be true I say not
1: That is in surge there with Lock On, a tribute to one method of civil disobedience favoured by the Australian environmental movement. Before that, we were speaking with Yusuf Al-Azawi from the Human Rights Law Centre about their study into the legal repression of climate activism. And the second half of the show, we are going to be chatting to a couple of people who have tasted it firsthand very recently. Um, They've both been sentenced to prison sentences for doing climate activism. Thankfully, they're both currently on the outside with us. Um, So first off, we'll speak to Sergio Herbert, who was given a year in prison. Um, Serge has been... At it for a few years now with a particular tactic of civil disobedience um, and I thought it'd be worthwhile talking to him to get a bit of the the person behind the uh, caricature that's often painted in the media which is quite critical of him so let's have a listen to Serge can you start off by introducing yourself
5: uh, sure um, my name's Sergio I'm 22 uh, yeah, I'm a climate activist I've been a climate activist for the last five years. I guess I believe in uh, civil disobedience and civil resistance. Um, And that's how I spend my time um, doing civil resistance to try to solve the climate crisis.
1: So many of our listeners will be aware that not long ago, you were given a sentence of a year in prison. You're currently out on bail with an appeal pending. Uh, can you give us a bit of an update of
5: your legal situation? Uh, yes, yeah, so, yes, I'm on bail, uh, currently awaiting an appeal. about uh, We're appealing the severity of the sentence. Um, that appeal will be... Well, the first mention will be in March, but it's likely to take maybe six months or more. Um, and, yeah, basically, if I fail that appeal... I will um, have that 12 months imprisonment uh, sentence. Um, But, yeah, hopefully that uh, sentence can be reduced, or it can not be an imprisonment sentence. Um, And otherwise... um, Oh, well, I'm on bail, meaning that I have a whole bunch of really strict conditions. Um, I have to... I'm not allowed to go to another state to see my parents for Christmas. Um, I have to report to the police station three times a week. Um, I have a curfew from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and the police are allowed to appear at my residence every three times a week to check that I'm here. Um, yeah, otherwise I'm up to be of good behavior, and um, someone had to pay a $2,000 um, bail uh, to get me out as well. Yeah, and I'm also not allowed anywhere near the Newcastle area. About six different local government areas that I'm excluded from.
1: Now, you've been arrested a number of times and you presumably suspected that a prison sentence was coming at some point. So I wonder why keep going doing these kind of arrestable actions?
5: Well, I guess I admire those in the past that have uh, gone before me and I see that, yeah, uh, imprisonment is part of civil resistance. Um, So I've been processing that, I guess, uh, since I... have been involved in civil resistance um sort of trying to figure out yeah trying to be okay with that reality um so but ultimately why keep going um was because it's i'm dedicated to solving the climate crisis and i know that um mass participation civil resistance to the point of imprisonment or worse is really required from everyone so i guess i'm trying uh, hard to demonstrate and try to do that um, in myself um, in order to, I guess, pave the way for those to come after me. And people were thinking that I would get a prison sentence after five or six times of being arrested. Um, However, um, 28 times uh, seems to go by uh, without anything. Um, And even before that, there wasn't actually much uh, hinting at um, escalating toward a prison sentence. It's this sort of did come out of nowhere, statistically speaking. Um, so it's like it. It may very well be that my appeal is successful, and my continued civil resistance in the future, after my appeal, um, doesn't result in a imprisonment sentence until I've been arrested. I don't know over fifty times. Um, there's people in Australia that have uh, some activists in Australia that have been arrested lots of times in the past and haven't been to prison, so I guess you've got to try your hardest and that's the risk. And I guess, you know, ultimately I need to be me and that means uh, engaging in civil resistance.
1: Yeah, the media sometimes likes to paint you as just kind of a pest, but there is a theoretical basis to what you do, isn't there?
5: Yeah, so I use um, the non-violence theory... Uh, I guess ultimately lay it on top of uh, uh, what my friend calls the civil resistance model. Um, so nonviolence is primarily about bringing um, violence from the shadows or somewhere that uh, it's it's hidden um, out into the public eye through civil disobedience. So through doing stuff um, in public and and yeah, basically drawing that violence out for for it to be. Um, seen by the public um, and then uh, addressed um, if the public thinks that it is unjust. Uh, This is ultimately what um, the predominant uh, theory of civil rights uh, campaign uh, in America and in uh, in other places. And then the civil resistance model is um, really about using people's uh, bodies and and their innocence en masse Um, sacrificially um, to transform a society whether from a dictatorship to a democracy in the most extreme circumstances the civil resistance model which is a model where basically everyday uh, citizens converge in the capital city basically and sit you know sit on the road or sit in the ports uh, causing economic uh, and social disruption on mass until their demand is met. And obviously that comes with massive imprisonment, massive uh, violence. Um, but ultimately, yeah, people uh, take out as much time as they need from their lives. They put their lives on pause, uh, just like people do when they, you know, go to war or, or, or do some other sort of extraordinary thing in their, in their lives. And um, the civil resistance model was, uh, you know, was built around, um, yeah, basically um, impoverished peasants, um, reclaiming power from a violent um, ruling class. And uh, that's I guess we have some of that in our context, a little bit different. but these are the theories that my work is based on and I'm looking to find the way to use these mechanisms of change uh, to solve the climate crisis.
1: As we've said, you've been arrested a number of times and have been doing this for a few years now with Extinction Rebellion and Blockade Australia. Do you think that this course of action is having an effect? Uh,
5: When I was in prison uh, watching the uh, free-to-air TV, um, you know, the ads are full of greenwash, uh, which means they're definitely feeling some, some public... Opinion is is shifting, and the other thing is basically all the car ads are about electric cars, and so the, the a large section of the of the corporate class, the owner class, um, is actually um, looking to begin their shift at least um, in writing or you know uh, with fancy words and uh, PR campaigns. We're still firmly in the grip of the fossil fuel industry, as Australia, which is uh, subservient to it but ultimately i think that as we demonstrate what real real resistance looks like um people are going to uh, see how to take back power in this very comfortable in this very comfortable land for the majority of us um there's been massive massive shifts globally and nationally um of how people engage in democracy we're seeing much more civil d- disobedience in this country than we were previously, especially in regards to the climate change movement. And that civil resistance is um, maturing, developing. Um, and I know that the work that we've done in Australia has has directly influenced and became a, um, a scaffold for other uh, climate change movements in other countries, uh, because I've, I'm currently working um, in a sort of mentor kind of uh, role in a bunch of different countries are uh, looking to develop their, their movement. So it's making a shift, you know, in terms of what's acceptable in our society, and it's also making uh, massive shifts in the way that people engage in their values and their, um, their struggle for, I guess, survival in this case
1: over the last couple of years the media has certainly taken notice of your actions and there's been quite a lot of criticism and personal attacks what's been the effect of that on you personally
5: yes it's very strange to be walking down the street and uh, in essence getting death threats from people uh, mumbling either to the to themselves, or there's someone they're walking with uh, behind you, or yeah, I, I I've experienced a lot of yeah threats of violence um, and ridicule and stuff like that. Um, it's scary at first, um, but you know, ultimately I'm a I don't know I'm a young person uh, trying to do the right thing, and so I guess like I don't know for me I'm not doing this to prove how good I am or to be honest i don't think i'm a good person and i think that me doing this work is me trying to at least try to do good things within a society that has you know made me who i am which is an imperfect person uh you know socialized to oppress and and recreate hierarchies and all those sorts of things that this society does um, so yeah I don't get value from others other people's opinions of me I get value from my own opinion of me this work is me fulfilling my purpose in life uh, which I've decided is to prolong the existence of consciousness in the universe so my metric isn't how many you know likes I get on Facebook or how many people are nice to me my metric is how many lives have I saved how long have I delayed the eventual sizzling out of consciousness in the universe so honestly i don't give a fuck what people think of me
1: the other side of that equation i guess is that when you were in prison there was a lot of solidarity shown with you from around the country what effect did that have
5: uh yeah so I had been in prison uh, in custody for about six days before i was able to contact or anyone but my uh my lawyer contacted me and um yeah told me that there was uh, snap rallies being planned um and stuff like that all over the country and that, that felt really good i almost teared up it was um really significant and Yeah, I just value um, being part of such a a powerful set of people with uh, really strong values that have each other's backs. And to be honest, it's somewhat predictable. The non-violence theory uh, suggests that basically like the more violence that is done um, to a person or a movement, uh, the more people sympathize with those that were non-violent in the scenario and back them up. Uh, whether by joining them or ridiculing the opponent. Um, so that's ultimately called the backfire effect and we were able to see that. So it's just a testimony to the fact that we are all human and uh, the normal traits of humans are, uh, you know, supporting the people that are getting abused and attacked is uh, all still working. So basically, that's good news, folks. we it turns out uh, we can employ the non theory and it should work. <laughs> So it gives me a little bit of confidence.
1: <laughs> All right, so you're on bail, you've got an appeal pending. What
5: does the future look like for you? Yeah, well, uh, I guess ultimately uh, if I'm arrested or breach any of my bail conditions, um, I will be, yeah, basically sent to prison during uh, awaiting that appeal. So that's definitely uh, scary. I live with a bit of fear now, which sucks. But yeah, so basically I'm looking... Uh, to be a mentor and i want to be training the uh, next uh, surge as we may say of uh, activists on the front lines on the vanguard you know i was able to develop really effective strategies that made it so you know at least 28 times uh seems to be all good in the hood in terms of um dealing with the repression um So yeah, I'm looking, I want to be training people. I want to be basically like getting people um, to seriously sign up to face what I've faced. Because I think that if we shy away from it, if we remain in fear of it, then they win, right? Then their oppression is effective. The way we make their oppression ineffective, and this happens everywhere in the civil resistance model, is you sign people up. You sign people up to suffer that amount or more, and you remove the fear through that. Once the fear is gone, their violence, their control has no effect. It's one of the most powerful things in a movement when the fear goes, and that happens from people transcending their fears into their courage and um, a community staying strong no matter the, the cost. So I'm looking to, um, yeah, I'm doing a Courage in Action uh, training on Sunday. I'm going to be doing that weekly and uh, building up uh, really powerful young people that can take on uh, Australia in 2022 to force climate action and uh, to not fear. All right. Thanks, Serge. All right. Thank you so much.
6: I hate the Liberal Party with passion and party So I voted for the Labour Party man but the lying little evil turned out just as bloody evil It's clear he's out to break us if he can So this time I was keen, I went out and voted green And the good old coalition went and won If you want to change the laws, then the power's mine and yours And I think it's time to go and have some fun a banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police And go and make some music in the forests and the streets I want to make things better, so I think I'll write a letter That a junior clerk can place upon a shelf but still the trees keep falling, I can hear the forest calling, so I'll have to go and save the thing myself. A banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes. A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news. We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police and go and make some music in the forests and the streets. It's very widely known that if you cycle on your own, the motorists will try to run you down. But nothing ever feels quite as free as my two wheels when a hundred bikes have taken over town. A banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes. A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news. We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police and go and make some music in the forests and the streets. If you stand up for your rights or for someone else's fight, you break the law which says you can't complain. But civil disobedience is never ever tedious It's aggravated trespass time again A banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police And go and make some music in the forests and the streets
1: i am loving the chance to play a few civil disobedience anthems that is paul spencer there with make some music before then we were speaking with sergio herbert who is currently appealing his one year prison sentence for doing repeated climate actions um i think There are people out there who disagree with Serge's politics or ways of going about it, but I think you certainly can't argue with his dedication and his uh, courage to keep doing what he does. Now, somebody else who has done repeated civil disobedience actions over a number of years and who has recently been given a custodial sentence that, fortunately, she is not currently... Uh, locked up because of is Juliette Lamont. She was arrested earlier this week for blockading Adani's first trainload of coal from its Carmichael mine, was held on bail um, and eventually given a one-month sentence, suspended for nine months. Let's have a chat with Juliette. Could you start off by introducing yourself?
7: Um, Yeah, my name is Juliette Lamont. Um, I am a mother of two daughters and I'm an independent documentary filmmaker.
1: And Juliette, yesterday you were in court in Bowen Magistrates Court to do with some climate activism. Can you tell us about what happened?
7: On Tuesday, myself and my 20-year-old daughter Isla um, walked onto... The rail corridor that um, had a train that was transporting Adani slash first coal. Um, the train was stopped, and we both uh, locked onto that train in, a, you know, in a really kind of united show of force that we need to end coal now, and um, also in the belief that non-direct, I mean, non-violent direct action is was a really legitimate and powerful way to make that protest. Um, we were arrested. Um, and cut out of the um, lock-on devices and then taken to Bowen Police Station after being arrested.
1: And after being arrested, you were then refused bail, not for the first time?
7: Yeah, I was refused. I mean, what was really interesting, though, is, like, even before I was processed, um, the the superintendent, um, Craig um, Shepley, I think his name is, or whatever his surname is, um, had said that they'd put bets on in the in the um, police station as to whether I would do it again. And he had sort of lost money thinking that I wouldn't be that stupid. And the fact that I was there and I had done that, he was really angry and he'd said, you're going to go to Townsville, um, you're going to go back to prison for this. So he'd already made that judgment call before that even laid charges, Was I thought was – and yeah, anyway, it freaked me out because I thought, oh my God, if he's got the power to do it at this point, I probably will be given a prison sentence.
1: Because a month earlier, you had done a couple of actions that had led to you also being refused bail then and you'd spent a week in the Townsville prison.
7: Yeah, so I'd already been in Townsville prison because we'd done two actions that were specifically and strategically um, targeted to happen during the climate talks in Glasgow. So I locked on um, with Kyle McGee to um, Hay Point Terminal in Mackay and we stopped operations there, and then a week later, and that was a bre- that was a bail breach because I was I, I had actually you know had said not to um you know commit any further offences, and knowing that, but still really wanting to highlight and put you know pressure on the the, the Scott Morrison government in Glasgow, um, I locked on to Abbott Point again, and so that was a bail breach. So um, yeah, then I was I was basically into. Till my first matter could be heard I was um, incarcerated for seven days in Townsville women's correctional facility which was um, yeah a war zone in amongst itself really yeah, it's a high security prison for women you know that have had very broken lives and really traumatized and it's a, yeah it's a place that it's broken and, and sick which was really sort of startling to see.
1: so after a week in the Townsville prison then You uh, went to court and were sentenced to time served and let out. And then you've done this latest action again for Adani's first call. And uh, you refused bail again. And then yesterday went in front of the Bowen Magistrates Court.
7: Yeah, um, Yeah, it was really, I mean, the way that it rolled out, Because he decided that he needed a night to kind of deliberate, in my head I thought, well, that's the rap on the knuckles that I'm getting, which is another night in the watch house. Um, I kind of gut feeling thought that that would be his way of saying Juliet you know you've been punished and you know don't disrespect my authority and I have I have the power to put you away but I I'm, I'm not going to do that but the way that it played out in his narrative and his rhetoric really was that I was a repeat offender that it was aggravated you know had a you know aggravated criminality and I was never going to learn my lesson and so the way that his judgment went was really you know leading me to believe especially when he said I was going to be given um concurrent one month two lots of one month for two of the offenses um yeah I thought that I was going to prison and then I was taken in handcuffs to the police station And um, even the police didn't know if I'd been released or if I was going, they didn't know. So I had an hour of being back in the watch house, in the lock-up, not knowing, and the police couldn't tell me either until the paperwork was processed. And then I realised, holy shit, I'm actually getting out of here. So that was a massive relief, but it was this weird feeling of, I'd totally prepared to just be, you know, sent to Townsville Prison. So it was a kind of, like, it was disbelief. It was relief as well. But yeah, I, I felt there was a kind of mixed emotions because I'd psychologically prepared for that's, you know, that was my fate and how I was going stri- to strategically deal with that place because it's pretty rough.
1: So you must have known that there was a real risk of going to prison, but you decided that doing these kind of civil disobedience actions was a course that you wanted to continue to take. Why did you decide that?
7: Well, I sort of feel like, you know, at the heart of every every social change, you know, in women's suffrage and civil rights movement and, you know, same-sex marriage, there's been... Like, at the heart of that and the kind of driving engine of, of that has been the use of non-violent um, direct action, and that's really affected, you know, the, the, the world being a more kind of equal and just place. And so my part in, in involving myself in those tactics is because I think that they really work... But then the secondary part of that is I also feel like if I did nothing, I couldn't look at my daughters in the eyes knowing that we're in this climate emergency and I've just been at home watching Netflix and you know getting Uber Eats and you know living in this kind of fucked up, really denialist consumerist culture. And so for me to put my body on the line and be prepared to sacrifice my freedom is is a part of of, of a moral code that I feel absolutely sort of is in every kind of atom of my being.
1: Okay, so you now have a one-month prison sentence suspended for nine months. What's next for you?
7: Um, well, I mean, I do sort of feel like I'm kind of still on the fence about whether I'm going to involve myself in any direct action in those nine months. You know, I sort of feel like that, I, I could potentially be prepared to serve a prison sentence. But, um, you know, if that doesn't happen on the sideline for that, I've got an environmental film that I started seven years ago that starts in Russia with the arctic 30 and it kind of ends at bimby it it, it ends with the adani stuff and it's a personal story but it's also about the campaign so i've got about 350 hours of footage that i need to start kind of siphoning through and yeah and really focusing on making a really good powerful uh call to arms environmental documentary to get more people involved so yeah there's that
1: That is Juliette Lamont there. Thankfully, she is still on the outside with us with a suspended prison sentence for taking civil disobedience against Adani's coal mine with her daughter, Isla. Um, A great little family uh, moment there during the week. We are just about at the end of the show. Look, as ever, the paradigm shift is a bit biased in its reporting. We're on the side of the people who are standing up for our planet against those who are destroying it for the profits of multinational companies and so we need to work out a way to stop it we're going into ecological crisis the governments of the world have agreed this the climate scientists of the world agree it and yet we are keeping on a trajectory towards climate destruction and so we need to work out how to intervene and i'm certain that that involves ordinary people having a a say equal to the disproportionate power of big mining companies Now, how do we do that well we've got to be smart about it we've got to be tactical and one of the ways historically this has been done is civil disobedience both because it gets you into the media discourse but also it uh, physically stops that machine and is a symbol of the real-life disruption that we need to do if we're going to avoid catastrophic climate change it's not enough to make a plan um, like the Scott Morrison government's done it's not enough to talk about it like our greenwashing companies we need real life changes and um, we need a way to get everybody on board with that and um, give everybody the power to believe that these changes are going to make a difference. And so civil disobedience is one way of doing that. I believe in it. And um, the government repression of climate activism is a sign as well that civil disobedience is having an effect in the corridors of power. So good on all the people out there. Uh, fighting to protect our climate and if you're listening um, and you've been inspired by today's show well feel free to join in there's plenty of climate groups uh, both in Brisbane and around the country that's it for me this week I'll leave you with one last classic civil disobedience anthem this is Anne Feeney with Have You Been to Jail for Justice
2: Was it Caesar Chavez Maybe it was Darcy Day. Some will say Dr. King or Gandhi, set them on their way. No matter who your mentors are, it's pretty plain to see. If you've been to jail for justice, you're in good company. Have you been to jail for justice? I want to shake your hand. That picket line Have you been to jail for justice? Oh, you're a friend of mine You law-abiding citizens Listen to this song Laws were made by people And people can be wrong Once unions were against the law But slavery was fine Women were denied the vote And children worked the mind A rotten law stays on the books till folks with guts defy it. Have you been to jail for
4: justice? I want to shake your
2: hand. Sitting in and lying down always ways to take a stand. Have you sung a song for freedom? Or march that picket line? Have you been to jail for justice? Oh, you're a friend of mine. so are the police when that system
5: fails it's up to us to speak our peace it takes eternity